ברוכים הבאים בשם השם, ברכנוכם מבייס השם. השיר דדיקטד לזכוס, פרפואה שלמה, פליזה שלמה ברוכה, בס אכל הינדה, שפרפואה שלמה קרבה, עד מאה ועשרים. This week is Pasha's Tale Days. Shabbos Mevorchim, Bacha Chedesh, Chedesh Kislev. Shabbos that we're going to bless the new month of Kislev. Bacha Chedesh, meaning the next day is Rish Chedesh. Hence a special... Haftorah is red, which talks about the name of the innocent Machachedish. Of course, it's Chedish Kislev. Honestly, don't want to turn this shear into a eulogies or dedications of the devotion or prayers instead of a shear. Anybody who does want to dedicate to a shear can always dedicate. Um, but also this week, Alter Rishchidosh Kislev, aside for what we're going to discuss of Rishchidosh Kislev, to the outside, Hanabas Rebishaya, and Shem Havin Aliyah. Very, very special person, very special woman. Tremendous Spalas Chesed, woman that just gave, just gave, didn't know how to stop giving. She should be a good to better for her whole Mishpacha, especially now that she was joined by her husband, Chil Ben Avav Yisrael. Hence, a generation. Shchedish Kislev, as we've discussed in prior years, From the year Tavshin Lamed Ches, Shchedish Kislev took a total new meaning, being the day that the Rebbe went out of 770, left 770, went home to his own house on Shchedish Kislev. Tavshin Lamed Ches. The Rebbe suffered a heart attack. To an extent that the doctors said that the Gaboyim should get trauma control. Should get as many people as they can to help out with the Chassidim because the Chassidim are going to be devastated because there was no hope in their eyes, they really thought that this was it, this is the end. They didn't believe that I would make it through the night. Chassidim was to hear from the Rebbe, from Shabbos Bereshis, all against the doctor's medical understanding and knowledge, we were zeichet to hear from the Rebbe many, many, many years till the years Tavshin Nun Beis, Chavzayin Other being the last time that we've seen the Rebbe in motion, talking, etc. Tavshin Nun Beis, of course, is five seven five two. Tavshin Lamed Ches is five seven three eight. So we'll leave it to you to do the math. 
What does it mean to us as Chassidim? This is a big fabrengen. There will be a big fabrengen going from Matashav straight through till Monday morning. This is the Kines Ashluchim. All the emissaries throughout the world who come together the Shabbos here in New York. Miyat Hashem. And Baruch Hashem, we will be flooded. The kinnis will go on. Started already, I believe. Sessions. Shluchim sit with camaraderie. Coming together. Have not seen each other for a whole year. Some even longer. Being able to sit, reminisce to talk and to strengthen and to encourage one another. Shchedesh Kislev was the time that was chosen for this Kines HaShlokim. We had Shem on Sunday as the big banquet where the Shluchim all get together in one banquet hall. Shkenai Nahara, Ken Yirbu, tremendous, tremendous Kines HaShlokim. There'll be thousands of people there are supporters that come along as well. When they started only a few years ago, a few short years ago, they started a kinnis for the children as well of the Shluchim. For the boys, of course. And apparently this year in the kinnis HaShluchim, the junior kinnis HaShluchim has a thousand children. Can I know how to can you? What does this all mean? From Tavshin, Lamed Ches, 5738 to 5775. We hear couples, families going out on Shlichah still today. And we see Shluchim thriving, flourishing, and forging ahead on the Rebbe's will, forging ahead of the Rebbe's Miftzayim, all that the Rebbe asked them to do, the Chassidim, the Shluchim, are still going full, full force, full steam ahead. This only reinforces the greatness of what Rashkhaidish Kislev means to us today. The fact that Shluchim or just plain Chsidim, not wearing the badge, Shaliach, not wearing they come now, they have to wear these tags. Just Chsidim locals living here in Crown Heights in New York, in Brooklyn, they are continuing and doing the Rebbe's Inyanim. They are continuing and seeing to it that they go out of Miftzayim, they go out to put on film with people on Fridays, or even during the week, where they know somebody local, they know a local neighbor, they know a local worker, that needs to put on tefillin, and they go inside and they see to it. The first person has the his damnut, the opportunity to actually put on tefillin. How many years? Tememches, nunches, samaches. Over thirty years now. Three decades have passed. And Hasidim thrive. And Hasidim forge ahead. Whether they're in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Whether they're in Atlanta, Georgia. Whether they're in Takamdu. Shliach of Zhitome. Rabbi Wilhelm. 
had an interesting situation. He went to a wedding, a family wedding in London. And at that wedding, people talk and they point fingers and they say, Ooh, this is the Chabad Shriach in Zhitama. No. To most everybody there, it didn't mean much. He's a Shriach. Nice. Zhitama? What's Zhitama? Is that in Brooklyn? Perdichiv, Zhitama, neighbors. There's one lady, though, it meant a lot to. And she went over to Rabbi Wilhelm. And she said, Rabbi, I guess they spoke whatever language they spoke, I can't tell you. I wasn't standing there listening to this conversation. She says, I need to ask you a favor. She's crying, tears in her eyes. I come from a little town near Zhitoma. I come from a little town near Zhitoma. And this town, there were all the pogroms and everything that was going on when I was growing up. And I unfortunately had to run away and leave my family, leave the town and everything else. However, my family stayed behind, including my parents. And my parents are buried there, in this town. There's a small Jewish cemetery, and that's where they're buried. I'd like to ask you a favor, Rebbe. When you go back to Jitoma, do me a favor and go to the town, please, for me. Find my parents' graves take a picture and send me the picture it's a bakosha nafshis it's a one way favor a chesed shalemis I have nothing to repay you with I just want to see the graves of my parents I don't know what it looks like I don't see myself ever traveling there again well Rabbi Wilhelm slightly laughed to himself his schedule wasn't vigorous enough and uh, he doesn't remember having any really spare time or bored moments in his day but who knows who knows no he gets back to Jatoma and he spoke to one of his people that were with him in the, the community and he told him about this woman's request. So they got into the car and they started to travel to go to find this town. And Baruch Hashem, it wasn't long, it wasn't far, and they located the town. They located the town, they went to locate the cemetery. That wasn't hard. They located the cemetery. And they unbelievably, believe, believe it or not, they actually located the graves. They located the graves of these people. They took pictures. And Shalom. Then they decided, Wilhelm says to the other fellow, he says, you know what? I can't believe that the mission in life was to come to this town to find two graves and take a picture. Let's go see, maybe there's some Jews still in this town. And they started proceeding, they started asking people, any Jews around here, any Jews, any Jews? I yell at no, no, nobody's answered. Finally someone says, you know, over there, there's an old lady, lives in that hut over there, that house. She's from the oldest people in the town. Go ask her. She must have would know. They come to the gate of the house. And they open the gate. And they go inside the courtyard. They see a young man, a young woman, and a little child. 
and they ask and they say the people are looking at them staring at them like in trepidation what do you want here what are you doing here and they said we're looking for any Jews in this town we want to know they say that we can ask the woman inside well the two looked at each other like someone fell off the moon and they had this look and they said honestly we are brother and sister we are brother and sister this is my daughter she says and um, honestly I'll tell you the truth she says she doesn't have much to talk and she hasn't got much more time to live the doctors actually called us here we don't live here in this town doctors called us and told us you want to see your grandfather your grandmother alive again you better come no so we're here but if you want to go in and talk to her I doubt she'll talk to you but go and the boy the girl and the child entered with these two rabbis as the rabbis walked into the room and the woman saw them she was barely opening her eyes barely moving barely she couldn't even talk as she saw them she jumped up her eyes opened up wide she was she was fascinated Kisil was a conversation of sort between Rabbi Wilhelm and this woman Rabbi Wilhelm left and she said to them she said to the boy and the girl you're, you're Jewish I'm your grandmother I was Jewish I didn't have an opportunity to live amongst Jews over in Hinani what? What's going on? I left it on, so. Were you going to clean it? Yes. Yeah. So, Rabbi Wilhelm gave them some pamphlets on Yiddishkeit, Fitzoyim, and he gave him his phone number. If they didn't need anything, they should call him. By the time Rabbi Wilhelm got back to Jatoma, got back home, that evening he got a phone call from the children, the grandchildren. Then unfortunately, almost as soon as he left, the grandmother passed away. So Rabbi Wilhelm ran into motion, he arranged, he made phone calls, and took care of it, that Rechev Kadisha took care of this woman and she had a proper burial no beautiful divine providence that I will almost sent to look at these graves these tombstones and he found this woman and said with her probably her vida her last prayer her last Shema Yisrael before she passed away and even more so followed up with the mitzvah of Kvura a true chesed shalemes a true kindness that's not repayable because the dead person can't repay and shalom several years later Rabbi Wilhelm brought a woman a speaker, a very very powerful speaker to speak to a group of women about the power of prayer apparently there was a few sessions after the first session speaker turns to the crowd and says to them is anyone here that could perhaps share a story with us about prayer and one woman got up and said I'd like to share a story <coughs> several years ago excuse me we were little my brother and myself our parents had passed away or whatever had happened we were left to our grandmother our grandmother raised us our grandmother raised us and we had a very fine life unfortunately for my grandmother we grew older we moved away I got married I had a child I had a girl 
And one day we get a call from the doctor saying that my grandmother is holding by the last moments we should come running. So we came running and we came to our grandmother and we saw the situation was very, very dire. She spoke to us, she told us that she's Jewish and we in turn are Jewish as well. She's our maternal grandmother. And then she lied quietly. We didn't know what to do. This is very hard, disheartening for us. It's very painful for us seeing her in this condition. So we walked outside to, to get some fresh air, to, to clear our brains, to think what to do. And the oddest thing, in our town especially, two rabbis come walking up the path. Where are they coming from? They came up and they asked to speak to our grandmother. And they went inside and she opened up, she revived practically. She spoke to them. And when they left, they left us some pamphlets and brochures. And the grandmother passed away and they took care of her burial, a Jewish burial. How odd, how strange. We in turn read, started reading the brochures and finding out what Judaism is all about, what Jews are, and we started to become more and more religious and connected. I want to therefore tell you, there is no practical explanation what these rabbis were doing in our neighborhood. The only thing I could say is our grandmother was praying very hard and brought these rabbis to help her. Needless to say, Rabbi Wilhelm, sitting on the side, listening to this, was quite shocked when he had to explain to this woman he was the rabbi. So therefore we see the vision of the Rebbe and the value of Eshchidosh Kislev to us how the Rebbe went stronger in his mitzvah campaigns, stronger in his connection with the Chassidim, his talks, Fabrengens, Maimorim. What we benefited to hear from the Rebbe, from the Tavshin Lamed Ches until Tavshin Nubez, and may we merit tonight yet to hear Teirach Hadash and Mithi Let's focus now a little bit on the Parsha. It's a very, very wonderful, interesting Parsha. Not to compare, God forbid. We have very good friends. Becoming from a... Becoming more... more Practicing, I guess. Manhattan. And the woman was telling my wife one day that when they were first married, they had a dog, which is a cross between a Rottweiler and a pit bull. It's quite a dog. Unfortunately, they had to give it up because it kept attacking and biting people. <laughs> cross between a Rottweiler and a pit bull. What are you expecting from this? But the Vila, they didn't give it up without a fight. They took it to a you ready? Everybody holding on to your seats. And don't laugh me in the face. They took it to a dog psychiatrist. To a dog or animal psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist actually evaluated the dog and said, you know what, I know why this dog is so violent and so wild, because it was abused as a puppy. It was abused. Abused as a puppy has nothing to do with being a cross between a Rottweiler and a pit bull. Two animals that 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 uh, are trained to attack that had nothing to do with. It had to do because the guy, the, the owner, used to smack it around. No, nope. so. you believe so. When you get paid, when he got paid, you have to say something like that too. You got to give some kind of diagnosis. You can't just say, "Are you guys crazy? Do you know what you have here? You have a flaming animal." But gun, you don't get paid for that. <laughs> 
So he did it with a tie on, and he did it with a with gloves, and he made his money. They got it, they paid his check, and they gave up their doggy. Never. Never. This week's Pasha. We know, of course, why the Taylor has to go on. Rashi explains why the Taylor is elaborating the Yitzchak was his child, Avram's child. Finally, Yitzchak is married to Rivka. And we hear that Yitzchak and Rivka had to daven, had to pray because she did not conceive immediately. It was a few years until she was, until she conceived. The children were fighting within her. So Rashi says to the poor Ben Chamesh the Mikra, who's so confused and baffled, who's heard about twins, might even have had parents, mothers that carried twins. And we know that the children, the baby punches at the wall, the baby kicks at the wall, whatever it does, um, of, the, of the mother. And you can feel from the mother's stomach, you, you can even see a hand or a foot hitting the stomach. Yechevet is very, very idle. She didn't hit. So. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, <laughs> more than just the average kick, Rashi tells us that these an- these children acted very strangely when they passed by a shul, a base medrash. Child was banging. When they passed by the Havdal a church, child was banging. And we spoke about this before. We explained one of the quest, one of the problems Rivka had was she thought the poor child was schizo. She thought the child was was had two two directions. Child didn't know if he wanted to be this or he wanted to be that because he kept bounding this way and that way. She didn't know she had twins? Well, the terror shows that she didn't. They told her. She never ever told her. He told her that but she came to him she was going crazy. She was petrified. What's going on over here? Why is the child running to shul and running to a church? He explained to her because there's two of them and one is going this way one is going that way. Because this is who they dealt with. They went to the yeshiva. The question was, how is it that the children were acting this way? That the child was acting this way? And now he finds the children. Tells us the Pasha does not keep us in suspense. Incoming Yitzchak, Yaakov, and Esav, the twins. The two twins that are born to Rivka, Esav, and Rashi explains why he called Esav. The Pasha explains that he was all red, etc. And the Torah tells us further that Yaakov tried to hold on to his ankle to hold the two. Restrain him from coming out first, and therefore, since he was holding out to the ankle of Esav, he was give, called Yaakov, which is Akev. Um, and Rashi explains why he felt he had to be born, why he had felt he had to come out first, that he was conceived first, that he came into the womb first, but since he was in the womb first and Esav was second, therefore, he was closer to the exit. In simple layman language. Fast forward a little bit. 
Yaakov becomes what he is, and Esau becomes what he is. Famous thing that we've spoken many times about. It tells us, Yitzchak was 40 when he married Rivka. When Avram says Rashi, Kishaba Avram, Maharamriya, Avram came to Maharamriya and his Basa the Shinel Rivka. He found out that Rivka was born. Yitzchak at the time was 37 years old by the Akeda. At that time, Sarah passes away. He waited until she was able to be married, three years old, and then they bring Rivka to get married. Three years in a day. Yitzchak marries therefore Rivka three years after his mother's passing. So she's already six. Three. Oh, three. the Pasuk says, He marries Rivka and he becomes, he has condolences. He's condoled now, he's consoled over the passing of his mother. The question becomes that Yitzchak, in other words, was mourning from when his mother passed away until now, three years. It doesn't work. Because on a parent, a person is not allowed to mourn more than 12 months. So, how is it that he's mourning for three years here? That all of a sudden, the only way he had found a solace was by marrying Rivka. The Chaskeni explains. When the Pesach says, Vayetze Yitzchak, Yitzchak went out to the field to Davin, Mincha. Where did he go out of? Where did he leave? No, he left from Ganeden. When the Akedah was done, the Torah tells us Avram returned home, but it does not tell us about Yitzchak. Because Yitzchak, by the Akedah, went up to Gan Eden. He became an Eilat Tamid. An Eilat. So he went up to Gan Eden and he stayed there, he hung there for three years. Totally, his body and all. And we're going to show you that, how that works later. So therefore he did not know his mother passed away. It was only now that he returns to the earth and he finds out that his mother passes away. And it's the day of his wedding. On the day of his wedding he finds out that his mother passed away and therefore he had to sit shiva for an hour. Shmur HaChaika it's called. The year is over. So he only sits for an hour. So he sat for the hour and therefore he was able to be the Nechama Vayinochem Yitzchok Achleimli that he had the actual Nechama. The whole 12 months. He didn't have the whole 12 months. He wasn't around. Like he had 12 months. Well, he didn't see over there? When he was there, he should have. He could have heard it. No, no, different part. He was sitting and learning. By game, we look at another piece of math in our Pasha. Taylor tells us that Avram of Inu was supposed to live for 180 years. Unfortunately, the Taylor tells us that Avram passes away at 175. Why did he die five years early? Rashi tells us. So he should not see his grandson, Esau, acting the way he acted. No. When did Esau start acting like that? By his bar mitzvah. Esav's the Esav and Yaakov's bar mitzvah Yaakov became Ishtom and Esav became the Ishtom and that was it so now he became the Eved of Yitzhara openly so now we have a problem here with the math the Torah tells us Yitzchak Hayab and Shishim Beledas Esav Yitzchak was 60 years old when the twins were born now, Avram, if you remember, was 100 years old when Yitzchak was born. So that makes Avram 100 years old. 
now when he is born, Yitzchak has birth at 60 to children, he's now 160 years old. So in order for him to die before the Rebbe Mitzvah, he'd have to be 163. Not 165. 173, not 75. So if he died at 75, 175, that means he saw them for two years sinning. Because they were 15 at that age. So then where does it, where does it connect here to tell us that he didn't see them, that he didn't see Ace of sinning? Therefore the answer is, no, we did our math wrong. Because Yitzchak was 60 when the children were born. However, Yitzchak was 37 by the Akedah. And for three years in Gan Eden, he did not age. But Avram did. So when Yitzchak comes back, Yitzchak is still 37, but Avram is 140. Now Yitzchak has the children at 60 years old. Avram is not 160, Avram is 163. 163. 163. 13 years later, 12 and a half years later, he was 175. So therefore he passed away right before the Bar Mitzvah, so he shouldn't see them sinning. He shouldn't see Aziz sinning. So Yitzchak was 60. You say we got the kids. Yitzchak was 60, but Avram was not 160, he was 163. He's three years old. But the question becomes something else here. Yitzchak, Avram, had revelations from God. God gave him constant revelations. God spoke to Yitzchak, spoke to Avram, you know. We have a question, though, that towards the end of the parsha it says, Yitzchak, Yitzchak started becoming old, blind. He became blind. Rashi says, why did he become blind? So that Yaakov should get the brachas. Not seeing who he's giving the brachas to. Problem is, that, according to one opinion, he became blind by the Akedah. Because the angels cried and the tears burnt his eyes. Or Avram's tears. But regardless, it says that he got older and he became blind. Maybe his eyes were weaker then and he became blind. No. Question becomes though, <laughs> why did David not just tell him, I want you to bless Yaakov, not Esau? Why torture him he didn't die that year. He lived for 50 plus years after this. Blind. And the Torah tells us that he's Chashev Kemes. A blind person is as if they're dead. Why would he be put to such torture for these last 50 years of his life so that the blessing should go to Yaakov and not to Esau? The Abish could have told him, don't do it. Anything. But big deal. No, then that's not right. Esau then would have been a martyr even worse. Would have been a martyr. He was a he sinner. Like a, yeah, exactly. But he was a sinner. He would definitely kill his brother. What would it mean? It would mean David would have to tell Yaakov Yitzchak, your son Esau is a Russia, right? David just said, no. I can't talk Lashon Hara. I can't talk Lashon Hara, even on an Eitzav. You can't talk Lashon Hara. The Veda is so severe that even on a Russia you cannot talk it. And not only that, but that Yaakov, Yitzchak Avinu had to suffer like a dead man for over ten, over five decades in order that Lashon Hara should not be spoken, so that the bracha should go to Yaakov. And it was considered Chashav Kameis. For 57 years of his life, his last of his life, so that God should not have to talk Lashon Hara. Hafladik. 
So much more so, if on an Esav you can't talk Lashon Hara, so much more so on a fellow Jew. Now go not talk Lashon Hara, talk Lashon Hara, do what you'd like. Look at what happened this week, unfortunately, the tragedy, which is an Aveda, of course, not to speak about. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know what kind of person one would have to be to explain it. To erect it, to justify or to, I don't know, I don't know. It's a program, a pure program. Last week, unfortunately, we spoke about 76 years of Kristallnacht, last Shabbos. Marked 76 years of Kristallnacht, the night that the Germans went on a rampage and broke all the windows of shuls and houses, and stores. And two days later, Arabs, one of them worked in a grocery store. A butcher. What's the difference? Every store is one big store there. It's all, everything's kolbe. And they walked in there and he just, they butchered four Jews. They left how many orphans? They, I think it was 24 children saying Kaddish at one time to the Vaya, the, the simultaneous funeral. Walk in people in Talas and Tvilin getting butchered, shot at, sliced up. What? It's mind boggling. How to explain this? How to rectify, how to justify this? There are no words. But how not to talk about it is a bigger crime. Hashem Yiddish Damam. Hashem should look after their families. Hashem should give them the Choma. Take Sharaveli Tzidin Shalom, as you say. And they should only see Simchas, and we should see the ultimate Simcha. Amitas Vashlem of Mashiach and Trias Hamason with Kitsalanu Sheikh Dafar and them at the head. Interesting. One of the rabbis there that was killed was a Baldarshan, he was a Rosh Hashiva, he had a he was a big speaker, a big inspirational speaker. And his inspiration his speech, speeches How I should die in Kiddush Hashem. How my death should be sanctifying God's name. This is a, his motto, as we call it. This is his battle cry. And Hashem answered, as we said before, his tefillahs. We pray for children. This week's passion, we see that Yitzchak and Rivka didn't have it easy, and of course Yaakov also had a problem with Rachel's children. Many years ago, there was a. Yes, it's cold. We are very cheap on the steam around here. We haven't got money for that. Um, it better not be your no, apartment building. It, it is. Okay. Um, there was a Rabbi Berenbard. So Rabbi Berenbard is a very, very learned man, not Chabad. Not affiliated with Chabad whatsoever. If anything, a Litvak, a Lithuanian. But he was invited to come to a Chabad um function, inauguration of a Talmudic center of some sort set up in one of the Chabad centers in Etzisrael, Atzenagdesha. Rabbi Berenbad lived in Yerushalayim. Rabbi Berenbad proudly got up to speak and he said, I have to tell you a story between myself and the Lubavitcher Rebbe. <laughs> Needless to say, you didn't need anything more than that to, qu- to quiet the crowd down. You could hear a pin drop. Because everybody knew him to be a Litvak, a stickle if anything. And here he's telling a story of himself and the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He said, as a youth, he felt and saw his calling in learning Tata, saw that 
he could not do anything but sit and learn and study Teda. And it would be a waste of a mind and a waste of spirit for him not to sit and learn all day long. And so he practiced that. He really devoted himself to his studies all his living day. And when he came to get married, he turned to the people looking and said, I need to marry a girl that's willing to live with that. Allow me to sit and study Tata all day, whether she has to work or whoever's going to support us, God will support us. But I will sit and study Tata. And he found just a girl. Excuse me, he found just such a girl, and Baruch Hashem, they married, and he sat and studied, and she went to work. One year, two years, three years. And the Simcha Gedeila of his sitting and studying Tera started to get slightly marred with the fact that Hashem was not blessing them with children. They started to go to different Gedolim, to different people, not to any Rebbe's that made him, because they didn't believe in Chassidim. But whoever they went to said, yes, 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 but there was nothing. He saw his wife was not happy, they started going to medical treatments, and one treatment after the other also ended out fruitless. Until finally, The wife said to her husband, she heard Brooklyn, New York, they're living in Yerushalayim. In Brooklyn, New York, there is a Rebbe, the Lubavitch Rebbe. He is a Balmephis. He's a person that does wonders, miracles. We need to go to him for a bracha. Needless to say, because as an antagonist, as a misnagid, he was fuming. Going to the Rebbe, going to the Neda, the Lubavitch Rebbe, nothing doing. It's not happening. But unfortunately, the situation was not getting better. Years were passing, and they were not being blessed with a child. Finally, every so often the wife would pester again and again and again, and finally he acquiesced, he agrees to go to travel to the Lubavitch Rebbe. And he came to Brooklyn, New York, and they got an appointment to go into the Rebbe. And as soon as they entered into Yechidus, to the private chamber of the Rebbe, the woman burst out crying. Crying hysterical, all the tears that she had bottled up over these years of being childless burst forth in front of the Rebbe. And they're just pouring and pouring and pouring. And the Rebbe looked at her and said, Relax, you will have a child. took a moment for her to hear what the Rebbe said over her crying. She was the Rebbe realized and knew exactly what her problem was. Then the Rebbe turned to Rabbi Berenfeld and asked him, what do you do? He said, I sit and learn Tata all day. The Rebbe said, then what do you do? So he realized that the Rebbe was not sufficing with his greatness of sitting and studying Tata. I wanted him to actually do something with my Pale. And as he's thinking about this, he's thinking, what kind of chutzpah does the Rebbe have? A Talmud Chacham like me. A person that's so devoted to study of Teda. And the Rebbe has the audacity, the chutzpah, to tell me I should stop learning Teda? I should go do something instead? The Rebbe read his mind. Apparently, he said, the way he says it, the Rebbe read his mind. The Rebbe saw what my concern was. And the Rebbe said to me, where do you live? The Rebbe knew he lived in Yerushalayim. The Rebbe said, where do you live? And then the Rebbe stopped a second and said, in Yerushalayim. Now they lived on a very remote street, like a one-way street, one piece of street. There was no beginning to it, no end to it. It's one little street. So anyone in Yerushalayim used to have to come find his house. GPS couldn't find it. It was not on the GPS. 
<laughs> it's literally one little thrown off street. So he says, the Rebbe is asking him in the street. The Rebbe is definitely not going to know. The Rebbe was never in Israel. Kitzah, he tells the Rebbe the name of his street. The Rebbe asked him, what street do you live on? So the Rebbe said to him, there are two buildings there. One has a store underneath and one doesn't. Which one do you live in? This man says, he says he's talking, he says, I didn't, I, I was in, paralyzed. Nobody knows where this street is. The Rebbe was never in Israel. The Rebbe knows that there's two buildings on my block and one has a building. Uh, <laughs> he says, I told the Rebbe I live in the one without the store. And that was it. But when I left, I realized the greatness of the Rebbe. And therefore, I involved myself with a with a curl. I became, I opened the curl, I started a learning program for many people, and I see to it that I teach people, etc. I now do, I don't just sit and learn. And needless to say, a short time after we left the Rebbe's office, a few months later, our first son was born and other children to follow. So we see, therefore, the power of prayer. We see the power of Amuna. How this street in Jerusalem that I've had to use to tip the scale, to show the guy, you don't know who I am, you don't believe who I am, you don't believe in the power of the bracha that I'm giving. I'll just give you a little. It's like a Google view of your of your house. <laughs> Google map. Google map. Yeah, this is Earth. Google Google Earth. Exactly. Google Earth. Yes, but the only thing is, this is in the seventies. <laughs> yeah, way before Google knew what they were googling. We find a very strange lotion here, and this is something that a Jewish mother, because we were talking about the yard site on, on Sunday of Hanabas Rishaya. I find a very awkward conversation in this week's parasha. Rivka says to Yaakov, you need to go take these blessings b'mirma. Now b'mirma, it means hidden really, but we've spoken about this many different times. How he, what it meant, what it went on over here. It was Pesach by night, and he took it, he gave him the Afrikaman, etc. But Yaakov says, my father is not a fool. My father's a holy man, and that's why we value his blessings. What if he curses me instead of blessing me? Rivka's answer? Strange. Any curses that are given to you should go on me. Mind-boggling. She took upon herself any curses that come to her son. Now, I told you once before that my mother was the only person I ever heard say it, and I, I myself can't do it, saying that that she took upon herself, if ever one of us were hurt, were not well, or whatever it was, she said she would she would rather do it instead than her children have it. Which is a very powerful thing. I don't know any parent, they, 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 nobody wants their parent, their child, to be God forbid, in any which way not well, but for a parent to say that they're willing to take the illness upon themselves, the child should not, should be better, very far few between. But here, Rivka tells that to her son. Now the question of course becomes, you try to make me happy. Are you trying to make me happy telling me, you know what, Yankala, go to daddy. If he curses you, I'll get the curse. In other words, Ma, if the curse goes on you, Ma, my dear mother, it's because of me. I am the direct cause to make these curses go on to you. What child wants to do that? Yes, today's day and age, children... have uh, awkward language that they express them, so their love and admiration, adoration to their parents. Yes, and there are times where children actually tell their parents where to get off. Um, sometimes in better language than that. 
Sometimes they only use short, short language, like four letters. Um, but generally, does a child want a mother cursed and cursed because of them, through them? The blessings of Yitzchak, therefore, we need to analyze a little bit. Were blessings of the highest level. And they brought down, they went down from the highest of levels to come here, which to a level of higher than Tamvadas, higher than understanding. So, in order to be a vessel for such a blessing, to accept such brachas of such high caliber, he had to stand himself also to a level which is above seichel, above understanding. How can someone reach and ascertain that? Only through Mesiris Nefesh. Through actual abnegation to giving over the life. And therefore putting himself in danger. By knowing that stepping in front and getting these blessings and stealing them from Esau... He is putting his life on the line. A person that puts their life on the line is something that's higher than Tam Vadas. That's higher than understanding. Rivka in turn says, The curses go on me. She was ready to stand for Mrs. Nefesh to give her life to show Yaakov that these blessings are so valuable. To in turn show Yaakov that he too needs to be able to get to this level, to be able to get these brachas, to get these blessings to come into fruition by him, he too needs to stand at a level where he is prepared to give his life for them. And therefore we look at the brachas. The behavior of Yitzchak Avinu we find an oxymoron. We find them doing this way and that way, back and forth. From one side, Yitzchak we know was the concept of Gvura. Shmane. Now I'll tell you why I say Mishamne. I'll tell you later. You know why? Pachad Yitzchak. And the message says on the Pasuk in our Pasha, Le'edaiti ye'emaisi, you know the day of my death. Yitzchak said, maybe it's my mother's age, 127 I didn't know when I was going to die. Maybe my father's... He's getting close to that light, to that, to the days of his mother. He already was worried about dying. But on the other hand, when Yitzchak blesses Yaakov, he blesses him with the highest level, as we said, that the cold tov should be beruchnius in Shemayim, and Begashmias in Oretz. And this is a lesson teaching every one of us. Even someone who is stringent upon himself for each and everything, and his behavior is in Kavagvura and Yira, when a person comes to, de- to talking for himself, he has to act that way. When it comes to others, you may not. You have to act in the way of chesed. And you have to give with the biggest open hand. You can't be stringent on someone else's cheshmer. And that's what Yitzchak is showing us. He's giving everything to Yaakov. Although he himself was very restrictive on everything he did. But for Yaakov he said, let it go be. Because that's how you bless a fellow Jew. And so therefore our blessings as well should be 
without limitations, without boundaries. And this is Shkodesh Kislev, we should celebrate in Yerushalayim. Yerakodesh, Shabbat Shalom to all. Shabbat Shalom.